Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Aurelie. This is uh, Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. I'm Nancy Richards. Hey, Michael Michaelzeni and Albert Clarsons joining me. Well, what we have on the show today, let's get stuck in with what we have. First up, the Cape Town and Suburban Clothing Guild. It was founded back in 1889. Not bad going that it still exists, but what does it do? Well, we're going to be finding out a little bit more from a member, Joe Prentice, whose mother and grandmother before her were both members. After that, we'll be talking to a woman who's on something of a mission to make us all feel good. She's Michelle Carlson, and she's going to be talking about EcoWorks and about Feel Good Health Essay. It's a site we're going to be finding out a little bit about how we can trust natural products over any other sort of products. What are we really buying when we think natural? And then, having spoken about marriage on our, in our help desk yesterday, or about weddings at least, Today we're starting a series on April on ma- or for April on marriage, and this first one we're looking at child brides. We're going to be talking to Francoise Mutute, uh, who is the Africa Regional Officer for an international organi- organization called Girls Not Brides. We'll also be talking to Mfano Zelwe Shozi, who's chair of the Commission on Gender Equality, touching on the issue here at home on of Ukutwala. So that's what we've got coming up. Incidentally, interesting to read on the Girls Not Bride site that in 2010, 13.5 million girls were married before they turned 18. That's across the world, 13.5 million girls. And they say if we do nothing about this by the year 2030, an estimated 15.4 million girls will marry as children. Certainly something to think about. What's news? Looking at women further afield, Michelle Obama moved to tears by the movie 42. It's all about Jackie Robinson's rise, Robin's rise through uh, Major League Baseball and the racism he and his family had to endure. How do they live through that, she says. Also abroad, Princess Christina, Christina, daughter of the Spanish king Juan uh, Carlos, has been had up as a suspect in corruption charges. She and her husband are suspected of siphoning off money that was paid by regional governments to stage sports and tourism events for a non-profit organisation. Also further afield, the daughter of Muammar Gaddafi has been granted asylum in Oman after she was thrown out of her safe house in Algeria for repeatedly setting fires and attacking guards in fits of rage over her situation. certainly seems like fame and name doesn't always bring glory, eh? Closer to home, our condolences to the Cryfontaine mother, a second of whose sons has become a victim to crime. Her 32-year-old paraplegic son was assaulted, killed and thrown out of his specially designed car after offering a stranger a lift. A year earlier, Marcel Manuel's 20-year-old son was fatally stabbed outside, outside his school by a fellow pupil. It is a jungle out there. And it's not that we don't know about unlikely soldiers. We read about child soldiers. They're a common phenomenon across the world. But I couldn't help but do a bit of a double take at the picture in the Times today of a 22-year-old young woman soldier who apparently joined up with rebel group Seleka in the Central African Republic who's promised to pay them a thousand rand a month. As they say, it's a job. She's holding a rifle, but round her neck she has a little heart pendant that reads, Love. Well, lastly, as the Mother City prepares for the Cape Town Jazz Festival starting on Friday on the money front, you might like to know that the festival contributed something like 457 million rand to the Western Cape economy last year, and just on the green front that it uses something like 2,000, <coughs> excuse me, 400 kVA, that's kilovolt amps, of electricity from generators. So it's a big uh, money and energy spinner, whichever way you look at it, but something that I think a lot of us are looking forward to. You're listening to Otherwise. Stay with us. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Yeah. 
well, when I say some of us are looking forward to, we're looking forward to witnessing it from a distance. As if every day I drive past and I see all the scaffolding going up and it looks like it's going to be very, very exciting. So those of you who have tickets, be sure to enjoy it. Well, back here in Cape Town, 130 years ago, of the, uh, the Cape Town and Suburban Clothing Guild was founded to do, I'm not quite sure what, but they are still going all these years later. And their focus is on a big distribution day. Well, we have on the line Jo Prentice with a full story. Jo herself is a member. Her mother before her was a member. Her grandmother before her was a member. So what's it all about? Hi, Jo. Hi, Nancy. Hi, listeners. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Um, Jo, what on earth is the Cape Town and Suburban Clothing Guild all about? And why was it started? It was started in 1889. So it's not quite 130 years old, 124 years old by a lady tenant who was wife of the Speaker in the House of Assembly at the time. And she recognized the need of underprivileged people in Cape Town for warm winter clothing. And the aim of the Guild is to provide new warm winter clothing at an appropriate time of year, so in May, to various people who need that in Cape Town. And what's so exciting for me is that after 124 years, Women volunteers are still busy making this organization work. Nobody is paid. Everybody contributes two garments or more a year and a small donation, and the organization just keeps on running. Things have changed so radically in 124 years, and, you know, good stuff, bad stuff, but amongst the good stuff is that there are quite a lot of organizations handing out clothes, either, you know, sort of for flood victims, fire victims, um, there are many organizations. How is, your, how is the Clothing Guild different? The Clothing Guild is different in that each organization that receives any garment is carefully monitored for their specific needs. So a representative from the Guild monitors what an organization will need through the year. And so we try to match gender, size, um, appropriate age, and we'll provide, for example, tracksuits or jerseys or um, school uniforms that are very specific to that organization. And that's part of the huge sort that takes place before the distribution. So it's not just a handout. It's a very, very well-motivated um, giving into mm-hmm. a situation where there is always a great need. And I think for me, that's probably one of the sad things is that although the organization has been going for 124 years, the need still exists. And Cape Town's Cape Townians are incredibly generous people, and they just keep on giving. And people keep on making garments, buying garments, knitting garments, and giving into um, organizations that require help. Yeah, I guess the need obviously uh, still exists and grows as the population grows. 124-odd years on, it's certainly grown. But um, so before the big distribution is the big sort. But before that, you have to first identify the different organizations. Give us an example of one specific organization and what they may need that's different from everybody else. Well, I don't think that there's a great um, difference. The, you know, a hospital might need pajamas or particularly tracksuits, something to keep somebody warm in winter. Um, We had a young woman who was at the St. Anne's home, and she received a new blanket. And she was in the process of changing her life. And 
Six years later, remarkably, she heard the president of the organization speaking somewhere, and she actually came up to her and said that that, that blanket was part of her turnaround um, because she got something new. And the aim, was, the aim of the organization is to give a new garment, not a hand-me-down, not something second-hand and worn out, but something new that will last and that will provide a, a sense of self-esteem and dignity. St. Anne's, is that the home for young women? Yes. Is that the yes. unmarried mothers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, for example, there's a comment um, from the Athlone School for the Blind where they said they would like to thank the donors who knitted and crocheted such beautiful items and that the learners are very excited to have received their new clothing. Um, there are a lot of different, there are 37 organizations that are regularly supported and last year they distributed just short of 27,000 ga- 27, garments to those people. 37 organizations, is that, uh, is that a number that's increasing? I mean, are you quite choosy about who you can take on? I think that um, there's a limit to what volunteers can do. So I would say that if there was an organization that had a need, they should approach the clothing guild. Um, I can give you two contact numbers a little later and, um, and ask. Um, they would have to fill in a request form for their needs. And obviously, with a volunteer organization, one can't help everyone. This is something that has been in the Cape Peninsula for all these years. Um, it's not a national organization. Mm. Do people then, the volunteers who give, give new clothes, do they go out and buy it? I'm mean, just thinking that I'm sure some of the big clothing stores at the end of a season could probably supply you with enough to, to you know, supply half of those 37 organizations. Do you find... It's individuals that come forward or clothing stores? How does it work? It's predominantly individuals. Mm. And a lot of the older people um, are still knitters or people who sew. So a lot of the garments are handmade. And um, particularly um, women who have always loved being part of something in the community but who now are no longer able to get out. Knitting is a very um, viable way of them making a contribution into society. So they love to receive wool to knit. Um, the, there are businesses and trusts and um, some shops, I suppose, that help, but it's mainly an individual thing. And I think that's what excites me, is that everybody gives a little, but that little counts for a lot in the long run. You say the, the fact that it's still going is, you know, it's good news, bad news, um, but, and clearly the need is not going away. Yeah. But uh, how many volunteers have you got? Um, about 1,500. Wow. That's, that's quite a lot, isn't it's it? It's quite a lot, but uh, obviously many of those people are getting a little bit more senior, and so we would love some new members. There's, there's no limit to who can join. So the 1,500 are those people who are giving, or are they people who come along to the big sort and the big distribution? No, those are, those are people who are giving, Okay. Um, and they are divided according to suburbs. So each, each suburb that um, is involved has a leader, called the president and they have some helpers called vice presidents and it's a tradition that was established um, from a guild in London and um, in 1904 it was arranged in this way so it's broken down quite systematically and the items are collected through the year the sizes are attached um, so that everybody knows exactly what the needs are and then they work accordingly 
I suppose the thing about new, I'm just thinking of the us and them situation. You know, one wants to maintain dignity yes. all round here. Is that uh, is what is that why we underline the new? Here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people never receive a new item. They always receive secondhand clothes or blankets um, from others, and very often the sizes aren't appropriate. Um, the the items are maybe worn; they're not very warm. So we want warm, new clothing. And there's some things that um, the guild doesn't accept. They don't accept summer clothes and um, your fancy items like evening wear because that just wouldn't be meeting the specific need that the guild is trying to meet. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get your picture. Um, we're coming. It doesn't feel like it right at the moment, but we are coming into winter gradually. Yes. Do you have a central depot? Do can people bring their stuff to you? Or best no. They... The, the best way would be to contact uh, the secretary of the organisation, and she would then refer people to their closest um, suburban representative. And the number is? And the number is o two one. Yeah. Six eight nine. Yeah. Three two three five. Okay. And the person they would be speaking to is Adrian. Okay. A D R I A N N E. Okay. And then alternatively, if they have access to email, mm-hmm. they can email clothing G. C L O T H I N G G at mweb. Okay, I'm going to give out both details once again. Joe, thank you very much. Very best of luck and uh, start sorting them out right now. It sounds I, like it's quite, I quite really a appreciate time. this interview. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. If you're in Cape Town and you, have, uh, you would like to invest in uh, making somebody else feel warm this winter, you can get the, the uh, Cape Town and Suburban Clothing Guild. You can uh, contact them and perhaps find out exactly what they need before you rush off and buy something. The number is 21 6893235 or uh, that's Adrian or otherwise you can send them an email on clothingg at mweb.co.za Are you up to date with the world of property? For all things property matters What are your rights as a property owner and or purchaser? Are you a tenant or the landlord and you need advice? What is the value of your investment in commercial property in South Africa? What matters are of importance in discussing land ownership? Trust us to simplify and help you understand the detail in all things property matters. Join me, Dineo Mulomo, every week on Tuesday morning on Morning Talk at 10.30. Hi, I'm Valen Kerti. I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the 8 Millennium Development Goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green bees adorn my wrist because I support Goal 2, achieving primary education. Goal number 3, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And Goal 7, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. And this is Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. And don't forget that coming up this evening, it's uh, the Enviro Show, if you uh, have an inclination towards green. And amongst other things, we're going to be talking about what is it that makes those pilot whales beach themselves, having had a whole bunch of them uh, off the coast here in Cape Town, or at least Nordic, I think it was. So that's what we're going to be looking at. But we're having a bit of a green thought right now, because in the studio with me, I have Managing Director of Feel Good Health. She's also owner of the Organic at Heart restaurant in Plumstead. 
And she's just come up with uh, a new Facebook page called Little Eco Works. She's Michelle Carlson. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Nancy. Nice to have you with us. So, um, obviously, you've got, in fact, those are two of the things that you do. I think yes. you've got a whole bunch of things a that whole you bunch do, of. which are very green. Where are you coming from with the, with all? What's your background? Well, my background is actually as a clinical psychologist. That's okay. where I started. Yeah. Um, I've actually been on your show before years ago while I still had my practice. And um, and in my practice itself, although we are um, allopathically trained, in other words, uh, trained according to the principles of conventional medicine, um, I in particular have an interest in natural medicine. I always have, have had. So once my, my clinical training was finished and I um, started my private practice, I had a bit of difficulty recommending the, the usual psychiatric medication that what one would um, within a private practice like antidepressants or medication for anxiety, ADHD, um, bipolar disorder, and so on. And um, because of my inclination myself to work with natural medicines in my own family, um, I began to have a look at um, offering alternatives to the clients that I saw in my, in my practice. And um, at the time, it was about 15 years ago, there were not very many reliable, well-manufactured um, natural medicines on the South African market. Um, so I had a look at manufacturing a very small range to use within my private practice. And together with herbalists and homeopaths, I did that. So we had a small range for depression, ADHD, for anxiety, and a few other things. And um, over time, um, doctors came to hear of the fact that I practice psychology using natural medicines. And those who were so inclined and for patients that requested that sort of treatment began to refer their patients to me. And that sort of progressed to um, similar sort of stress-related problems like hypertension. Obviously, you know, stress is... Um, something that is related to a lot of different physical ailments. Um, and so the remedies that I, that I had developed began to branch out into those sort of not classically um, psychologically related remedies. And in fact, from there, it was, in a way, I call it an organic growth. Mm. Um, um, I now have almost 300 different remedies. We distribute all over the world, including in South Africa. And it really has become a very big focus for me, um, natural medicine. It's a field I love. I've been in it so long, and I still learn something every single mm, day. Mm, I suppose the proof um, is in the pudding and in its efficacy. But yes. you say you're a clinical psychologist. Are you, um, at my depth here, yes. are you registered to then, to I mean, unlike a psychiatrist, yes. to be using medication? Um, psychiatrists are, are sort of classically in South Africa those that prescribe the, the medication. Yeah. But obviously uh, psychiatrists and psychologists typically work together um, and the psychologist needs to be able to know about the psychiatric medication, needs to be up to date with it, needs to know how it works. Um, and very often, because we specialize in a field, we would be the ones that recommend a certain medication to a doctor or a psychiatrist, uh, particularly GPs, so not everybody ends up at a psychiatrist. It's very costly. Um, so we would often be the ones to say, look, this would be appropriate or that would be appropriate in consultation with the medical team. Um, so you have to be very well versed in um, conventional mm -hmm. psychiatric medication, uh, but yeah, you wouldn't yeah. exactly write out the prescription yeah, um, yeah. in 
the consulting yes, room. Yes, sort of the yes. package. Yes. Um, medication can be very costly. Never mind going to see the doctor, yes. or psychologist, or yes. psychiatrist. Medication itself can be both very costly in financial terms, but it can also be costly in terms of side effects. Health-wise, yes. Is it, would it be a, a mistake to say, well, it, it's natural, so you're not going to have those side effects? Look, nothing comes without side effects, not even mm. milk or water, you know. So obviously, the properly, uh, they are medicines, just like prescription medicines are medicines. They've got to be appropriately prescribed. Um, they've got to be monitored. They are um, like um, conventional medicines, over-the-counter natural remedies, as well as those which might be prescribed by a homeopath or, or a herbalist, for example. But yes, certainly from a, a side effect profile, there are really very few side effects associated with the correct use um, of, of well-established um, brands but, of but natural medicine. like any other medication, it would be listed on the, you know, the contraindications or whatever it is on the, on the little piece of paper that comes with the medicine. Yes, it's been a long road in South Africa in terms of registering natural medicines mm. and having them, um, you know, sort of on par in terms of the information that's provided to, to customers. So um, I, I've always tried... Um, to communicate as much information as possible. I think if you have a look at our website, uh, feelgoodhealth.coza, you will see that there's a lot of information on each um, remedy as well as a lot of information on the particular ailment. So, for example, if we have a natural medicine for um, hypertension or high blood pressure, we would also make, it, make a point of having as much um, health-related information there as possible um, to do with lifestyle, exercise, diet, etc., etc. We'd also have information um, on the actual remedy itself, the ingredients, what not to use it with, what to use it with, how one uses it, how many you take. Do you take it with food it's or sort water, etc.? So it's a holistic thing. approach, yes. Are you then part of a, uh, some sort of association? Well, I'm registered as a clinical psychologist okay. myself, so I'm, I'm registered with the Health Professions Board. Okay. Um, we also have a branch of Feel Good Health called Pets Alive, which deals with pets remedies, and, and um, the, the person who heads that branch who goes out is a registered um, veterinary nurse. So we try and provide as much backup and support as possible. Okay. And, and, and I think that the important thing is to be able to have that communication where you can provide assistance and information and communication, which is why we're on Facebook and Twitter, and so uh, we have that direct communication with our client yeah. base as well. And I think children are of, of particular interest. Children, in yes. one thing, but it was little eco-works that yes. actually um, yes. triggered our interest. Yes, that's right. I saw you there. Yeah, so, um, so quite... Um, you know, one would feel quite comfortable about using something more natural on your mm. children. Yes, yes. Yeah. Look, I think the thing is that um, with children, you know, people often complain, and as a mother myself, I know that some syndrome where your children go to daycare or to school and they come home with colds and flu and then they get treated with antibiotics for ear infections and tonsillitis and bronchitis and so on, and then it comes back again and the parents are always out of work because their children are sick and there's a cycle that gets set up, especially in wintertime. And, and there, um, very often, um, if you can help the parents to use natural medicines and also help them, educate them around about 
things like colds and flu and ear infections, how to get things early um, and how to treat them at home, then that's all, from the one point of view, it's, it's an economical thing for parents, which in this day and age is, is quite a real. big thing. Absolutely. But it also puts the control back in their hands in a treatment that is, that is something that, that um, can help without doing harm. And at the same time, we like to be able to educate the yeah. public in when to actually go and see a doctor yes. and not use something over the counter. Just briefly, um, you know, if, if only children were only bothered by colds and flu, wouldn't yes. life be wonderful? But it's stress, depression, ADHD, yes. uh, bipolar, yes. uh, all sorts of things, yes. the hypertension that you mentioned there. Um, you know, I would be hand-drawn and quartered if I weren't to ask you, so what works for depression that's natural? Yes. Uh, years ago, it would have been St. John's Wort. But yes. if somebody goes onto your website, will they find some indications of they would they be able to, to search under the uh, a keyword like depression so they'd be okay. able to find information on depression itself unrelated to products or you know basically symptoms what to do about it when to actually go for professional help and then they'd also be able to look for what natural medicines we do have and we have a very dedicated ask um, a helpline either online or on, on the telephone um, or by email um, where people can phone us and they can ask us questions um, with related to the products or to the particular... Okay. Um, well, Michelle, let me guide um, whoever it is who's listening and thinking, that's what I need to know, to the website. It's yes. www.feelgoodhealth.co.za. Correct. Feelgoodhealth.co.za. And I think we will put that up on our Facebook page. We'll make the link there. Well, Michelle Carlson, thank you very much. Thank and you, it's Nancy. Been fascinating. Thanks Good luck. to everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Michelle Carlson, Managing Director of Feel Good Health. Check the site. It's uh, feelgoodhealth.co.za. It may just help you out of uh, a sticky patch in a natural way. It's 1.30 just after time for the news headlines with Aureli Kalenga. Thanks very much, Aureli. But uh, right now you're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. Well, as I said earlier, having spoken about the wonder of weddings on the show yesterday, today we're starting a four-part series on marriage for the month of April. And today we're looking at child brides, the bride who perhaps doesn't want to or doesn't get to make so many choices about what she does, never mind who she marries and never mind what she wants out of her wedding. So in a minute we're going to be talking to the chair of the Commission on Gender Equality about Kutwala. But first we have on the line Francoise Mutute. She is the uh, Africa Regional Officer for Girls Not Brides, who are a global partnership. They're, a, they're a, uh, an international organization. And interesting about that, I just read on their website that in the year 2010, 13.5 million girls were married before they turned 18. And if nothing happens to, about this situation, by the year 2030, an estimated 15.4 million girls will marry as children. Well, we have Francoise on the line. Hi there. Good afternoon, Nancy. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I think that you are based in Senegal? I am. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Girls Not Brides. Um, is it, are, there, uh, are there bases all around the world? Yes, Girls Not Brides actually is a global partnership of civil society organizations. About 250 member organizations have joined Girls Not Brides from across 45 countries, if I'm correct. And um, what we do is work with all those organizations around the world, mostly in Africa, South Asia, the Middle East, but also Europe and North America, to work together to end child marriage in different countries and also 
enable girls to fulfill their potential and make their own choices. Um, do we, um, Francoise, have you got your radio on? We're getting a little bit of feedback this end. I do not. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just uh, international issues. How do you know, I mean, 13.5 million girls were married in the year 2010. How do you know? Where are you getting these statistics from? These statistics are coming from the United Nations, um, who have a series of surveys that they, they go to in different communities and ask women themselves, when did you get married? And um, across, uh, so we have in different countries those statistics, and then we add, we add up those, those numbers. And the, the numbers that you have uh, cited are actually very recent. They were issued by the United Nations at the end of, of last year. So they're very fresh okay. and still very alarming. Do we know why these girls are getting married? For, for what reasons? Yes, I, I would say there are a host of uh, different causes. The first one I would say is poverty. Very often the girls who get married are married off by their, their parents. Um, by lack of other uh, economic alternatives, um, especially in countries where uh, practices like lobola or bride price uh, are very frequent. Marriage is seen um, as a way to get money out of a girl, especially when a girl is considered a commodity. Another um, cause, I would say, is tradition social norms in many countries, in many communities, early marriage is just something that we do and we've done for many, many years. So um, despite the very uh, devastating consequences, uh, people just do it again and again. Um, and also I think the fact that in, in many countries there's a very weak uh, system of preventing such marriages or of punishing the perpetrators the situation just keeps going on. So there's a lot to do, but there are different courses. In how many countries is it illegal? Oh, child marriage is illegal in almost all countries. Um, many, many countries have a law. Most countries have a law. Very few don't, do not have a minimum age of marriage. And very frequently, this minimum age of marriage is either 18, which is what is um, the, the United Nations standard, but in some countries it's much lower. But in most countries there is a law. The only problem is when there's a law that is not always perfect but exists, this law is not being implemented correctly. People don't even know about the law, including the people who are supposed to enforce it. So in many cases then, the, many, these 13.5 million girls have been married illegally. In many cases, yes. They get married, sometimes with the complicity of the communities and, and sometimes also with the complicity of the, the officers of, of marriage. But the problem is, very often it's very difficult to actually prove the age of a young girl um, because in, most, in many countries there is no strong um, birth registration system. So people find ways to, to hide uh, the fact that they're doing something that is very often illegal. Mm -hmm. What sort of age, I don't know if there is an average age, but what sort of age are we looking at with these girls? Because, I mean, why would anybody want to marry somebody who's very, very young? 
Well, um, in, in terms of uh, the age, the official definition for, for child marriage is under the age of 18, because mm-hmm. this is what has been agreed by international standards. In, in some countries, it can be very, very early. I remember being um, in Ethiopia visiting projects and meeting a girl who I asked this very question, when did you get married? And she said to me, mm, I don't remember, I think I was six. Oh. Um, so it happens very early. It, uh, there is no average age. Um, it comes. It can happen for girls who are very, very, very young. But um, the, the official definition is until 18. You, you, you know, top of the list there, you mentioned that a lot of girls are getting, uh, child brides are getting married because of poverty. But then presumably money has changed hands and she is almost bought. But is that very common? It is common. The, the, I think the, the essential issue at the core of this is that girls are not considered full, fully as first-class citizens. They're considered as commodities that you can buy or sell. So, yes, money plays a role here, but I think beyond the money question is the question of how do, you con- how do we as a society consider our girls? Mm. And I suppose what we are perhaps not being factored in is the consequences for the girl herself because by very implication if she's getting married she's going to be having sex and presumably then going to be having children. So uh, from this, this, this huge amount of child brides presumably there are babies very quickly. I mean that's, that's for sure. Child brides are very often under intense pressure to prove their fertility. So they experience very early and very frequent pregnancies and, um, you know, and all the consequences that come with it. Let me, for instance, say that um, girls who give birth before the age of 15 are five times more likely to die during the childbirth of pregnancy or pregnancy than girls who are 20 years old or older. So it's a huge risk during the pregnancy. It's also a huge risk for their children who, of course, are not, um, are not as well uh, prepared to, to face life. But what we're talking about here is children bearing children. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I'm just looking at the list here. The top country at uh, 75% is Niger, followed by Chad, followed by Bangladesh, followed by Guinea, followed by the Central African Republic, which is at 61%. Now, those percentages indicate what? How many marriages are, chi- are child marriages? It indicates how many, uh, what is the percentage of girls who are, who are between age 20 to 24 and who have been married at, before age 18. Okay, okay. It's a mercy to see that South Africa doesn't appear on the list. South Africa doesn't appear on the list of the 20 top um, countries with the... Um, with the hi- so South Africa is not in the highest, um, but we know that in some uh, pockets in South Africa it is very um, prevalent. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce this practice, so I'm not going to... <laughs> are you going <laughs> so to say Ukutwala? That is it. Yes. Um, there, are, there are indeed some, some places where, and some communities where this, this practice is still um, very prevalent, but as a country, um, there's no big national average prevalence of child marriage in South Africa.
which is which is very very promising, but there's still much to do in those pockets. Yes, Francois, I'm going to ask you to stay with us because I'm hoping that you'll give us an indication of what you are able to do as an organisation. But on the subject of Ukutwala, we do have on the line uh, Mr. Mfana Zelwe Shozi. He's the chair of the Commission for Gender Equality. Mr. Shozi, are you with us? Hello? Mr. Shozi? I'm with you. Yes, hi. Are you able, were you, have you been able to hear what Francois has had to say? Yes, I was, I was able, I was listening. Good, good. The good news is that South Africa doesn't appear in the top 20 uh, of, of uh, countries most affected by child marriage. Nonetheless, it does exist. Do we have any statistics as to how many child marriages there are in South Africa? Uh, clearly, the Commission for Generality uh, conducted uh, research uh, last year. We're still continuing with that. Uh, but uh, we don't have uh, official statistics on, on that. It's very some pockets in, in these areas and those areas, and people are actually reporting uh, to us. What I can confirm, though, is that there are two types of early childhood marriages that we have picked up as a Commission for Gender Equality. One is Ugutwala, where young girls are, are, are being abducted. One is, because for us, it's arranged marriages where young girls could be linked to culture, linked to tradition, where the, the two families agree that a young girl should be, should be married. For example, uh, in Gwamapumur and Gwazulu Natal, we had that case, and also in, in Gwazulu Natal, there's also another case now in, in Limpombo, where a 10-year-old was married to a Sangom. So there are those there are those uh, situations, but I think we don't have official stats in, in relation to the child marriages. Do they tend to be in rural areas, or is it urban as well? Do we have any idea where it's happening? Let me just give an example of what, what has actually happened in, 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 in KZ and the other case that, that, I'm, that I'm sure about. For example, the, the, the bridegroom was from Umlaz Township, but the, the, the young girl was from Dredo, which is a rural area. And according, according to, although we've met with the Shembe Church in this, and they've denied that these people is part of their, is part of their policy to do that, but um, the, the girls from the rural area, and therefore uh, we think uh, our assumption is that it's, it's happening everywhere. Mm. Uh, we can't really locate and say it happens in, 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 in the rural areas because some of these people are from the townships and so on. You know, according to Francois from Child Brides, uh, you know, in most countries it's, it's illegal. Uh, equally, it's illegal here in South Africa. But the big problem seems to be the complicity of the, of the families, of the community, of the officers of marriage. Is it the same here in South Africa? Oh, definitely. It's, it's, it's illegal in South Africa. And that's why it's difficult to actually get states, official states on this particular matter. You only have statistics of people who have actually uh, 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 come, come forward. And, and, and therefore it's difficult to actually have information around these particular issues. But really, culture plays and tradition plays a very, a very important role in, in, in all of this. Because when you engage, for example, in the Gomapumulu one, where the Gender Commission intervened, they went to the family. Um, what, what also surprised us was that the family was not poor. They had television, they had double beds, they had all this and that. The, the, the father was working and everybody was working at home. So some of these are, are not really sometimes related to poverty, but to some culture and traditional issues. But um, and also lack of knowledge as well, which I think is critical around these issues. Um, which we think, we, I think we, we still need to actually go to the deepest areas and educate people about some of these issues. 
it seems like a big thing for the CGE, who has plenty of uh, plenty of work on its plate f- to get involved with. Um, do you, once you've got your studies and research completed, how do you plan to do that? By going into the very deep rural areas, or is there another way? Well, for example, CGE have started. Uh, we've engaged uh, in Guadalajara, for instance, the, the Chambers who are engaging uh, traditional leaders throughout 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 the country. For example, we've met with specific Amakos where this is actually prevalent and we've discussed the matter. What is also interesting is that the traditional leadership itself, they are saying this is not allowed within their own areas of operation. And, and, and as general commissioners, they are also going to schools. What is also critical, we are working with police. For example, the SAPS has men for change. They have uh, women uh, network and with other civil society organizations that are working with. And also government departments. For example, in, in, in KZN, what we've been seeing is that the government response is very good in relation to deal with these particular matters. But community attitudes and so on, uh, they are very, very negative. In one of the areas where we went to, um, around ladiesmith, women themselves said, you gender commission, you've come here, our children are not going to actually get, are not going to be married off because we are coming with these issues of Western principles of equality and so on. Sometimes that's what I'm saying, it's critical that we have to actually engage women on the ground so they will understand the implications of marrying young children, the opportunities that are lost for these children cannot go to school, they cannot actually pursue careers and so on. Yeah. It's a very, there are myriad of issues that the Commission for Gender Equality is dealing with. Yes, I can imagine. I suppose the, the only voices that aren't being heard are those of the child brides themselves who have very little to do with it. Um, Mr. Mufano Zilwe-Chorzi, he's the chair of the Commission for Gender Equality. Thank you so much. I'm going to give out your website if anybody would like to know more, but do stay in touch. Thank you for your, for your time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. The CGE, incidentally, the website is cge.org.za, cge.org.za. But Francois is still with us from Girls Not Brides. It's interesting to hear what the, our Commission for Gender Equality is doing here in South Africa. In other countries where it's even more prevalent, you know, the top five, for instance, are there equally bodies like the CGE doing something, or is it one of those things that you, you don't see an end to? Well, it depends on, on the country context. Uh, in most countries, the government is aware of the issue. Um, it's now a matter of how much of a priority they want to, to make it. You know, so I think uh, in some countries there is indeed a, a dedicated uh, agency or body that works on it. In most countries, it's uh, the, the responsibility is shared among different ministries, whether it's the Ministry of Children or Gender or Social Protection, because um, it's such a, a wide issue. Um, but the, the, the main uh, question here is the question of political will. How much do governments realize how important this issue is and how much do they want to engage in addressing it? Yes, and looking again, looking at your website, uh, Child Marriage and the Millennium Development Goals, that child marriage directly hinders the achievement of six of the eight Millennium Development Goals. So the world can't move forward while child marriage is, is still there. Absolutely. This is an issue that affects um, uh, our, all of our international communities' efforts to address HIV AIDS, for instance, or, or promote education or promote uh, maternal health. So these are all efforts that we cannot continue to pursue without addressing the issue of child marriage. Yeah. So as the Millennium Development Goals are, 
are coming to an end in 2015, what we are advocating for is for the next round of goals to consider making adolescent girls a priority and including um, child marriage prevalence as an indicator of how well governments are doing in promoting the welfare of adolescent girls. And how well is Girls Not Brides doing? Well, Girls Not Brides is a, is a rather new organization, but I, I would say that as a partnership it has gained a lot of momentum. Um, we have, as I said before, over 250 organizations that have joined us, so what we're building now is a movement, you see. And what we're trying to do is really highlight one fact, that is child marriage is a grave issue, but child marriage is not a fatality. Things can be done. There are organizations out there, government Rights member organizations, that do, um, that have these very successful approaches that include educating girls, you know, so that they can stay in school rather than go into marriage, for instance, or pushing for the legal and policy environment to be more strong in preventing um, and child marriage. You know, so solutions are out there. What government Rights is doing is highlighting these solutions and um, empowering the organizations that work on the ground and really create a movement that will break the taboo around the issue of child marriage and really say out loud that child marriage is not acceptable anymore and that we will work together to end it. Francoise Moduche, thank you so much. I'm going to give out the website if anybody would like to uh, agree with you and find out more that child marriage is not acceptable, certainly interrupting uh, six of the eight Millennium Development Goals, which are end of poverty and hunger, universal education, gender equality, child health, maternal health, and the combating of HIV and AIDS. Thank you so much, Francoise. Very best of luck with your work. Thank you. And if you would like to find out a little bit more, their website is www.girlsnotbrides.org. Girlsnotbrides.org. We will put that up on our Otherwise Facebook page as well. You've been listening to Otherwise, and don't forget if you want to tell us your story, it's otherwise at safm.co.today. But next up here on SAFM, time for Shop Shop, the children's programme.